Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Bill Press Pod. The times, they are a-changing indeed. Consider this. When Nancy Pelosi was first elected to Congress in 1987, she was one of 23 women in the entire 435-member House of Representatives. Today, she is, for the second time, the first female Speaker of the House, and she's one of 106 women in the House, 91 of whom are Democrats. That amazing increase in the number of Democratic women in the House is a tribute, first of all, to Nancy Pelosi's determined leadership, but it's also a tribute to the great organization EMILY's List, which since its founding by Ellen Malcolm back in 1985, has been dedicated exclusively to the election of pro-choice Democratic women at every level with remarkable success. Emily's List, now in its 35th year, continues to recruit, train, support, and elect women candidates in all 50 states, now under the leadership of President Stephanie Shriak. We caught up with Stephanie Shriak, working remotely from home, to get the latest on prospects for 2020. Hello, Stephanie. Good to talk to you. Nice to see you again. It's really nice to see you. Thank you for having me on, Bill. So maybe not all of our listeners are as familiar as I am with Emily's List. Uh, I go back a long time, particularly to California in 1992, when with Emily's List help, we elected two great United States senators, Dianne Feinstein and Barbara Boxer. So why don't I ask you to let everybody know, what is Emily's List? Who are Emily's List? And what's your mission? I love that. Well, Emily's List is the nation's largest organization funding women in politics. Uh, we are solely focused with a very simple mission to elect pro-choice Democratic women to office. That's it. That's what we do. Uh, we do that from the legislative level all the way up to the top, though we haven't quite gotten all the way to the top <laughs> yet, but we're getting closer. We're getting we got close, right? Yeah. We are getting close. We were very close in 16 and uh, looking forward to a not VP nominee this, this year as well. Uh, but we've been doing this work for 35 years. It's actually our 35th anniversary bill. We started in 1985, and you see the the change from our very first big victory, which was Barbara Mikulski, for those who remember her, the mm -hmm. longest-serving woman, woman in Congress, uh, who retired just not that long ago from Maryland, uh, and now to a historic number of women in Congress, particularly in the House, with the great, great success of 2018. And it must be particularly important to you because the very first woman in Congress is from your home state, was from your home state of Montana, Jeanette uh, Rankin. That's right. She, thank you for, I, you know, my, my heart is always in Montana. And uh, the story of Jeanette Rankin is, is really pretty extraordinary because she ran in a time where uh, the 19th Amendment hadn't been passed yet. So Montana mm. and a lot of Western states 
had allowed women to vote, uh, but a lot of the eastern states had not done so yet. And so when she ran for the House in, in uh, 1916, uh, there was a lot of suffragettes, actually, who were really angry with her because they thought she would push the movement back. Oh. Uh, word if she lost and then if she won, how was that going to be perceived? It was very complicated in the movement. And she obviously won and, and served. She served one term uh, and she actually was the one, uh, though it did not pass that particular uh, Congress, she was the one who who rolled out the 19th Amendment on the floor of the House. Uh, she's also known uh for, for good and bad, depending on how you line up, uh, for being the one person who voted against going into World War I, lost her seat, came mm-hmm. back then two decades later to win her seat again, uh, just in time, she was a pacifist, uh, just in time to vote against going into World War II, which is probably not the best uh, choice on her part. Uh, but but she was true to her values, and she really was a pacifist. And and as I said, uh, the first the first woman to serve, and before women across the country had the right to vote, it's really yeah. extraordinary. Now made history in in several very very uh, I- important ways. So uh, some people, of course, think Emily's list named after Emily Dickinson. Oh, no, not true, <laughs> not right? True. Not true. But that's not I don't know if I've ever heard that. That that is really that's very sweet. Uh, no, Emily is actually an acronym. Our founders came together. Our founder, Ellen Malcolm, uh, who's really the stateswoman who brought this all together and is, the, uh, frankly, the the shoulders I stand upon uh, to continue great, her legacy. Great person and a great uh, friend. Yeah, truly incredible. phenomenal. Just what she's done is really, really extraordinary. Uh, but they they wanted something that was catchy, and she's a great marketer. And they came up with this idea, Emily which stands for early money is like yeast. Perfect. It Perfect. helps make the dough rise. It helps make the money <laughs> rise in this case. And uh, a lot of folks go to that now and uh, use that. Uh, and the truth is, is it works. <laughs> it is actually very true. <laughs> Why important to, uh, so important to have women uh, in elective office? I think it's the same reason that we just need diverse voices in office, the same reason we need more African-Americans and Latinx and Asian-American. We should have governments in our country, both at the local, state, and I should say not just both, but across the board, local, state, and federal level, mm-hmm. that looks like our nation because there, it is impossible to represent uh, communities without at least some of those voices from those communities there. And when you're looking at a nation uh, that is, by the way, majority female, <laughs> I, I hate right. to say it, guys, right. there are more women than men in this country, just the, just the way that the demographics work, uh, that there's no reason why there's any governing body that doesn't have at least an equal number of women and men. And what that results in and we've already seen it, uh, is a change in the debate about every policy. It's not just one set of policies. It is how we look at 
our family policies, our community policies, but also how we look at climate change, how we look at our military, how we look at our economy, because all of these issues affect everybody. Mm-hmm. And just bringing a different set of opinions and ideas uh, from women has really altered the conversation, and I would argue in a really well-balanced way. And you are active not just at the federal level, House and the Senate, right, but also okay. state legislatures, governors you down the line, right, encouraging women yeah, to run and supporting entirely. Them. And and that is real, and that has actually grown a lot at Emily's List in the last, uh, really, the last four years, but really in the last decade. We have uh, set up an initiative. Initially, uh, it was called uh, Focus 2020. It is now in partnership with our another initiative, Run to Win, because since the 2016 election, over 50,000 women have come to Emily's List oh. wanting to run for office, Whoa. like maybe not knowing for what office or how to do it, but to know that they wanted to make change in their communities. And so we built out these programs and should go, you should go to the website, emilyslist.org, uh, look at our training center. There's great tools. If you're just pondering running and you don't know like what kind of office, what should you be thinking about? How do you put this together? How do you ask for money? How do you, well, if you when we get back to going door to door, which mm-hmm. may be a while, but right. like, how do you talk to voters? All of that is on our training center now. And there's also a, a really great uh, Facebook uh, group of women. I think it's close now to 8,000 women who, t- who are in community talking about what it is to run for office, whether it's city council, school board, or higher up. And it's really been, um, it's a really awesome community building activity. And what we're seeing is more women are running for office across the board. Uh, Is there perhaps any one uh, major factor in the last four years that has prompted (laughs) a lot of women to want to run for office? (laughs) Like for 30 years, Emily's List went out and begged women to run for office, uh, mostly. Uh, We still do a little of that, I will be Mm -hmm. honest. There are certain districts we got to go on the ground and and recruit. But uh, no doubt the election of Donald Trump uh, definitely spurred a huge amount of energy among women and the desire that that they had to do something and they've done something in different ways i mean we have this huge group you know you know tens of thousands who want to run for office but there's also tens of thousands who have turned into activists who have started their own organizations who have joined mm-hmm. other organizations like indivisible i mean you think about some great progressive organizations that have started since 2016 a lot of them are either run by women or their local chapters are right. really driven by the energy. Run, run for something is one that I run for something's a great one. Yeah. We work with uh, who focus uh, more on millennials uh, and they're fantastic. Uh, you know, the women's March that came out of the immediate um, movement, they still have local groups. I mean, it's just like, it's just kept growing and growing and it's really made a huge difference. And what it's resulting in, in our opinion, is really like more diverse uh, voices of women stepping up to run. And you can particularly see that uh, in 2018 when Emily's List led the way in taking back the Democratic majority in the House. 
you know, and we're proud to say that we did it with enough women to take the majority alone. There were some good men that won, and I'm really <laughs> grateful for them too, because yeah. Speaker Pelosi deserves as big of a margin as she could get, and we're hoping to add to that margin uh, in 2020. But if you look at that class, oh yeah, they are from all over the place, geographically, age, right? You have the youngest and you have the oldest. You have women who, you know, who come from, um, from nursing backgrounds and teaching backgrounds. You have doctors, you've got moms, you've got folks who are just all over the place. Military. Uh, it's awesome. Lots of military. Yeah. Uh, that, that's been a great, a great change. Uh, you got some scientists. We could use a few more doctors. Thankfully, we got some doctors and scientists running right now. We could sure use more of those. Uh, we've got Dr. Barbara Boyer running for U.S. Senate in Kansas. And every time I talk to her, I'm like, we need you bad. <laughs> like you actually know what you're talking about. Yeah, I want to I get, get to some of those important Senate races. But uh, also, as you mentioned, in the diversity in 2018, the first Native American women ever elected yeah. to Congress and the first to Muslim women ever elected yeah. to Congress. Yeah, which is, I mean, which is like amazing and exciting and also like, geez, what took us so long? <laughs> there is, you know, there is a little bit of that. Just as a reminder, like we still have so much work to do. Like we're talking about a moment that we still in 2018 hadn't elected a Native American woman hmm. to Congress is is sort of mind blowing. And I'm so grateful that Sharice Davids and Deb Holland uh, with our help and support uh, made it uh, to Congress and also uh, have taken it upon themselves in a really like on top of their job, mm -hmm. on top of being a candidate, on top of running for reelection to go into their communities and encourage other women um, in the Native American community to run for office. Like they're, it's a really amazing uh, sisterhood that's happening uh, across the country within these communities. And you mentioned that you used to have to do maybe more recruiting than you do today, right? But whether you're finding these candidates or they're coming to you, uh, what do you tell them is the most important? You know, how do they get started? Is it ability to raise money? Is it organizing? Um, no, the f the first conversations we we have is is really basic. Like, why do you want to do this? Mm -hmm. Like, what is it that is driving you to run? Uh, and tell us your story. Let let's you know we spend a lot of time early on with potential candidates or candidates about their story. Uh, because for, you know, I can't speak about that many men. I've worked for a number of men, uh, but I will say getting women to talk about themselves and their story and then how their story relates to the voters and the community, that's the key. And their stories are amazing, but they, they're, they're hesitant because they don't t tend to want to talk about themselves. They want to talk about how to fix the problems in the community, which is why they make such great like public servants. Like they're mm -hmm. so good. But I was like, before you get there though, you have to be able to connect. So we spend a lot of time on personal story and, and figuring out how that's going to work in the community. Then we get into the details of the campaigns. You know, we'll, we'll figure out, like we'll figure out how do you raise the money? How do you find the staff? Uh, how do you, uh, depending on the size of the campaigns, because keep in mind, if you're running for the legislature, 
in some states, you, you might not even have a staff person. You might have an all-volunteer mm-hmm. uh, operation. You're running for the U.S. Senate. You could end up by the end of the election having you know 50 staff people, 60 staff people. So it really is different at different levels of, of those campaigns. And we can help with all of that. Uh, so it's, to me, it's not about the... It's not about the tactics of the campaigning itself. It's the, do you have it in you, in your gut to do the work? Because it's really hard to do. But if you're hungry enough and you're willing to learn, because there's no, no one knows exactly how to do this until you start doing it. Uh, and we've got great trainings, but I tell women, you know, the best training is the on the job training. It's like, just run and you right. will start learning it very, very quickly. Because that's like, you could do 20 trainings. It's still not going to help you until you start running. And you're like, oh, that's how I have to deal with that question. When I go into the grocery store, just trying to buy some milk in the evening and someone comes running up to you asking about, you know, the policy in Iran. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. like until you get into it, you're just, you know, you're going to learn as you go. And that's, that's, you know, so are you willing to do that? Stephanie Shriak is our guest, the president of Emily's List. We'll take a quick break and then we'll uh, be right back. Today's podcast with Stephanie Shirak brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the good men and women of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone. They are on the front lines in today's coronavirus pandemic. Those uh, good men and women working in the meat processing plants and also those working at our grocery stores, both the checkout people and the, those who stock the shelves, again, right on the front lines, putting their lives at risk every day. So next time you go uh, out shopping for groceries, be sure to take time to thank the people working in those grocery stores, thank them for their great service, and we thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So, Stephanie, you mentioned uh, um, all the levels we're involved in. You just mentioned uh, your one friend running uh, for, or one one of your candidates running for Senate in Kansas. It looked at um, maybe six months ago, people were saying, oh, the Democrats will never get the Senate back. That has changed. Uh, Washington Post story Monday, May 11, the lead story was Republicans worried about losing the Senate. So I want to talk to you about some of the big Senate races. Uh, a few of the women that you've, uh, you're supporting, I have met. Uh, let's start in Iowa with Teresa Greenfield. Very oh, impressive. How do you read that race? Very. I got a complete toss-up now. And in a race a year ago that no one believe was going to be a real competitive race. Uh, we, we kept on telling everybody you haven't met Teresa Greenfield yet. Like you just, you just wait. I mean, this is a, you know, this is a woman who, you know, grew, you know, good Iowa story, farm kid, grew up on the farm. Uh, father was, a um, 
not just a farmer, but you know, sprayed beans and 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 flew and did all the spraying. Crop, I've got a crop duster. Crop duster. Crop right. duster. Um, I I too um, had a grandfather who was a farmer in Mason City, Iowa. So I remember sitting on the back of the track, <laughs> spraying beans, and this uh, literally spraying the beans down. Was oh Lord, what chemicals we were using? Let's not even talk about that. But we. <laughs> but, yeah. But she. Um, yeah, you know, so she really like grew up like so many Iowans did. I mean, I think about my mom, and she's like grew up like my mom on the farm. Uh, and then she, you know, she started her family young, and with a, you know, with a little child and one on the way, a tragedy struck, and her her husband uh, died in a work uh, workplace uh, accident. Uh, uh, he was a union member, and because of the support of the union and the union benefits and the support of the, you know, the government and social security and all of that. She was able to keep her family together, get through that terrible, terrible time and really have to restart with two little kids. Uh, and she did just that and became a very successful businesswoman, uh, worked her way through school and just this really tough, tough Iowa woman and is exactly the kind of person with the, with the life experiences that I think so many Iowans are going to relate to uh, every single day. And that's what we're seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's running against uh, incumbent Joni Ernst. I think a lot of folks thought she, that's uh, Republican Joni Ernst, uh, you know, was in pretty good shape, but the truth is this is her first reelection. And I, I don't get the sense that folks have really gotten to know her very well and now that they are starting to get to know Joni Ernst, they don't much like uh, like her. She's been a rubber stamp for for most everything that the administration and McConnell wants to do. Uh, she's also gotten herself uh, tied up in some um, some uh, campaign finance uh, uh, errors. Um, it looks like some coordination, as we would call it, uh, which is not helping her at all because she was going to be the one that you know she was going to go in and and clean and clean it all out. You know, she had that tone and now she just looks like she's smack dab in the middle of it all. And right. so um, it's a good race. It's a really great race in a good state with lots of congressional seats underneath it. Mm -hmm. uh, and we think the legislature, particularly the state house is completely in play for pickup too. So it's a really interesting uh, set of circumstances in Iowa. Uh, a lot of democratic hopes on the state of, in the state of Maine. Yes, <laughs> indeed, indeed, and that one everybody felt right right off the bat that we should uh, we should pick up, and it's been an interesting go. Uh, we really, really, uh, I don't know, lucked out or just or just like through pure like circling the right candidate, Sarah um, Sarah Gideon, our Democratic candidate. She'll she'll come through that primary. She has a nominal primary now. Uh, she's the speaker of the state house and really has a great story. So we got the right candidate uh, for the right time. Yeah, but this race ultimately is about Susan Collins. Mm -hmm. And it's about Susan Collins, uh, who she was when everybody liked her a lot. Right. And who she is today. And she's just not the same Susan Collins. And what's happened in the last year is that the the folks in Maine have realized that this this woman that 20 years ago they thought of as their own who would stand up for Maine before the party and before partisanship has has stopped doing that and now she just 
you know, rolls over for McConnell and, and Trump on a regular basis, particularly on really big things like healthcare and, and the tax bill. And that's really, really hurt her. Uh, and so that race is, I mean, it's, it's basically dead even. It's a toss up. Trump's numbers in Maine are really bad. I think it's hard for Susan Collins to overcome that, uh, but we've got a lot of work to do. And the good news, we have a lot, a lot of partners in Maine who want to win that seat. Right. Uh, a great candidate in Kentucky with uh, Amy McGrath. Uh, does she have a shot? I, th- I think she does have a shot. I mean, it is, first off, it's Kentucky against Mitch McConnell. And right. I mean, Bill, you and I have watched him run for re-election. I mean, we remember his first election and how brilliant his advertising campaign was uh, to take down the incumbent back then. He is, he will do anything to win. That's the hard part. Like he just is tough, tough, tough. But I remember talking to Leader Schumer about this recruitment early on because uh, we have um, Emily's List has a unique relationship with Amy McGrath. Um, we cheer her on, and we think she's a really a really great asset to the party. She doesn't seek our endorsement, so we're mm-hmm. not as engaged with her as we are yeah. with everybody else. Uh, but I remember talking to Leader Schumer about her. I was like, "There's literally no one better. Like she is the right candidate if we can all get her in to run." And thankfully, she agreed to run for the Senate seat and is making it a race. And uh, I think under the right circumstances, she could pull this off. Now, if we're winning in Kentucky, we are de- we got the majority. <laughs> right, that, that's right. for sure. <laughs> uh, tell us about Kansas. So Kansas is, uh, I feel like a little bit of a sleeper, which I'm not opposed to keeping much, you know, keeping it kind of under the radar, uh, just because. Um, there's a really messy Republican primary going on, and we won't know who the Republican is until August. But right now, it looks like it's going to be Chris Kobach. And Chris Kobach, if if people remember him, he oh, was yeah. the uh, the you know the Secretary of State who uh, was trying to you know prove fraud where there was voter none. fraud, voter, voter fraud. fraud. It's all yeah. about voter fraud when there is none, um, and. Uh, really caused some damage to himself. He's also uh, in a state that's kind of, you know, he's kind of tied to Sam Brownback. Everybody in Kansas is just over, you know, governor, former governor Brownback's um, just failed experiment that that is taking down the entire economy of, of uh, Kansas. So Emily's List proudly supported Laura Kelly for the governorship in 2018, and she defeated Chris Kobach in that race. Right. Uh, and so I like to remind people like Kansas has a democratic governor right now and she is rocking it, particularly under the pandemic crisis, as well as the economic crisis. And we also, you know, helped elect Sharice Davids in that congressional seat. We believe that the congressional seat next door with Michelle De La Isla, who we've uh, recently endorsed as another pickup opportunity. So there's a lot of good energy in Kansas right now for change. And Barbara Boyer, uh, who, you know, interestingly you know, was a Republican, switched parties. Uh, when I talked to her, I was like, boy, you must have been holding on the edge of that party for a long time because she's an advocate for reproductive freedom. She uh, is close to Laura Kelly and Kathleen Sebelius. Mm-hmm. I was like, hmm. But she also, you know, she that she was those Republican women. I think of the Republican women who led the ERA in the 70s. Like, okay, they're not Republicans anymore. And that's 
Yeah. That's Barbara Boyer. Uh, and she is now, you know, our nominee. And I think she's got a real, she's doing a phenomenal job. And again, the one thing we're seeing around the country, no matter what level of government, the doctors and the scientists, women and men are doing real well in the polling and for good reason. Cause I think, you know, People are, I mean, I'm, I'm nervous. I want to hear from experts and doctors and, sure. I, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to hear anything else from the politicians in the white house right now. I just, I just literally want to hear from Tony Fauci. Like, so I just want to know from the experts what's going on. So it's a, well, I think that's why it's a good time for uh, those, those candidates with that background. So we started, um, 2020, uh, actually in 2019, maybe earlier, for the Democratic primary with the most diverse group of candidates we've ever had running for president on the Democratic side, including, by my count, six women, very strong women, impressive women. Uh, and we ended up at the end with two old white men, <laughs> right? Bernie two, and, two and Joe Biden. Ones, though, to be fair. <laughs> right. And very so in their politics. What happened? Were women, were, were Americans just nervous about trying with another woman as the presidential nominee? How do you read it? Well, there were two dozen candidates running for <laughs> office. Six of them were women. A lot of men lost too. I want to say, yes, like actually, right. even more. <laughs> A yes. lot more men yep. lost right. in that process. And it's uh, to me, it is. Uh, I think of it as like a really cool moment. That also shows we have some work to do. So one, everybody's like, oh, there's six women running. And my response is, six women ran. Yes, yes. <laughs> like Emily's List has only ever endorsed one woman for president. We endorsed her twice. Her name is Hillary Clinton. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. This is all really new. And the fact that we had, um, had these six women, five of which Emily's List had supported in the past, four of which the senators were very, very close to. Uh, all of all of the senators, I think, are just phenomenal. No, outstanding. Absolutely. Like so, yeah. so great. And, and many, if not all of them, I am assuming are being looked at for the vice presidential uh, nominee nomination as well. But, but a couple, you know, a couple things. First off, Presidential primaries are hard like mm -hmm. for anybody yep. to get through and starting with name recognition and some built in a uh, story around your name is important. And so though, though you and I, and maybe a lot of um, those that are listening know a lot about Elizabeth Warren or know a lot about Kamala Harris, the folks in Iowa didn't. And so they, they it really took some time to ramp up and build that name recognition where everybody knew Joe, Joe Biden and they knew Bernie Sanders. I mean, it's interesting. The two people who made it to the end are two people who ran before. Yes. Who had, who had more presence and story around them. And it does, it's just a reminder that this process is hard and complicated and expensive and you got to get to be known. And that's why I expect that we're going to see lots of women running, including some of these women will run mm -hmm. again in the future and be benefited by the fact that they just ran. Right. So that's one piece of it. The other thing is, uh, I think what Americans saw really for, for the first time is that there's different kinds of women's leadership. Like we're open to seeing different kinds of male leadership because they're just different because that's what we see all the time. Mm -hmm. But everybody, every one of those four senators at some point in time, there was a story that was trying to put them into 
the box of Hillary Clinton, because that's the only kind of leader we know, which is funny because I was like, Speaker Pelosi, also a strong female leader, very different in her leadership. And I don't think we talk about enough how different and impressive her leadership is via the Hillary Clinton's also, but very also impressive and strong, very different. So the Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris, uh, Amy Klobuchar, Kirsten Gerber, Tulsi Gabbard, these are all very different leaders. And we saw that and went, oh, mm-hmm. not all women are the same. <laughs> Look at that. Wow. Right. Uh, I think that was really important. Um, right. So who is going to be the next vice president of the United States? <laughs> Who's your favorite? I don't know. Do you, yeah, or do you have an in with Joe Biden? Because <laughs> I don't know where he's going to go on this one. Uh, it's... First of all, let's just say so cool. how exciting that how he has cool. said it's going to be a woman, right? Okay, I just got to say, I, I was so, you know, like I said, Emily's List been around for 35 years. This is our 35th anniversary. One of the reasons Emily's List started, there were a couple, but one that really just aggravated the hell out of our founders was the Geraldine Ferraro. And a lot of them had been part of the campaign. If people remember, Geraldine Ferraro was the first woman nominee for VP uh, picked by Walter Mondale in 1984. And, and there was just no structure around what to do with this woman who was on the ticket, but they were, there was a whole campaign to get her on the ticket to get a woman. They, they had sort of a group of women and they're like, just anybody, just please, you could do this and make a huge difference. Uh, And so I remember talking to them and they're like, okay, you ready? I'm like, yeah, we've got this, building this campaign of making sure that we get a woman on the ticket. And then during the debate, Joe Biden's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to put a woman on the ticket. And I was like, and I'm done. <laughs> Look at that. That's all I needed to do. <laughs> all of our founders were like, that's it? I'm like, I'm sorry, no super campaign to get a woman on the ticket this time, which is a real, it's a testament to Joe Biden. And I want to say thank you to Joe Biden. And a lot of the men who were running for president had committed to that early on. And, and what it says is, hey, if you're a Democrat, you better have a woman on that ticket. It better be either at the top or number two, because when you look at what's going on with the electorate and how Democrats win, we are winning with women voters. And the gender gap is growing. And it's because women voters are voting for Democrats at a much higher level than the men, well, the men are voting for Republicans. And, and, but the difference is big. And also the electorate, the electorate, I mentioned earlier that there are more women in the country than men, just that's demographically proven. That's just, that's just math. But the electorate, the people who are voting in 2018, in our battleground districts, we had electorates that were 53% women, 54% women. Like, which means the electorate had 47% men. So if you're going to win one of those two groups, which one do you want to win? The one that is the super majority of the, of the electorate or not? So it just makes sense to have a strong woman on the ticket. And we've got a great pool of women who are ready to go, who are ready to be president of the United States. And and so it's going to be really interesting. You, I know you asked, do I have a favorite? And the answer is I don't have a favorite. I think, um, I just think we are so, we're in such a moment with strong women's leadership that really 
I've got to believe now I've never been nominee for president of the United States. So I don't know exactly what you feel like when you have to make this choice, but it seems pretty personal. Uh, and it's one of the most important choices that, that the presidential nominee makes. And as he uh, thinks through this and works with uh, the committee to get this done, you have to balance the politics of it with governing. And I don't think you can overlook what we are rolling into like the next president like hope and it like we'll do everything to make sure that it is joe biden and and whoever the the vice presidential nominee is they're going to have to go in and not just rebuild the government they're going to have to reimagine the government and the economy and mm. probably still dealing with a public health crisis, because I don't believe, I mean, I'm, again, I'm not a scientist, but I've listened right. to some of them and it doesn't sound so good. Like I just, what they're walking into is like so awful. I mean, what if it really is an unemployment level of 25%? I mean, th this is, th this is going to be a complete turnaround situation. Like if you think about a like a CEO going into a corporation, we got a turnaround situation here. Totally. We just, you know, Trump just took us and just completely annihilated our economy by not acting fast enough and making poor decisions. Uh, and Mitch McConnell just backing him up. And now we're like, we got to push all these pieces back together. So the politics of this choice and the governing partner of this choice are really important. And he's going to have to find the balance of that. It's just about out of time, but um, we can't really conclude our conversation about the importance of women in politics, democratic pro-choice women in politics, without saying a word about Speaker Nancy Pelosi, right? I, I, I mean, could not agree more. <laughs> when you think about, I mean, people have underestimated her from the beginning. Always. And where she is today and how she got there. Yeah. remarkable story correct oh yeah and i'm just must make about, you so proud i'm just thinking about all those folks like right after we won the majority in 18 who were like oh i don't know don't you think we need a leadership change and we're like no she needs to do this and what are i you know i hope they're all they don't have to say anything publicly i just hope they're like okay i got it i got it i so I've been working, you know, I feel like in comparison to Nancy Pelosi, I'm a baby in democratic politics, but I've been working in democratic politics for, for 25 years now. And I got to tell you, she teaches me something like all the time, like whether it's in watching her take an action or in a conversation, things that I would not have looked at or thought about in decision-making she she is such a role model for people like me and she makes me better and i am not the only one who will say that and i don't think it's just a gender piece she is a great great leader who makes everybody better and i am um, i just don't have enough nice things to say about her i i just um just tell me what to do <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I got your back, sister. I, you know, if you need more ice cream, I'm in. I'm like, whatever you need to keep going. Right. Uh, well, she's done a phenomenal job and holding together a pretty, a pretty raucous caucus. I mean, they're but they're good. Oh yeah, folks. 
you know, but you know, they all care and they want good things to happen. So that's the good news. And better than anybody else, she knows how to get under Donald Trump's skin. <laughs> she sure <laughs> <She's>... does. <laughs> so yes. what a great run for Emily's List. 35 years. Happy anniversary. It's Thank Emily's you. List. People want to sign up to help Emily's sure. List or to run. Emily'sList.org, right? Emily'sList.org. Emily's Check it out. All right. Got, and it really, if you uh, support is fantastic. If you want to run, come to us. We'll take you in. Uh, we're looking for you. Or you can help uh, women run for office yes. at every level through emilyslist.org. Congratulations, Stephanie. Thanks so much for your time. And the next six months are going to be pretty busy for you. Indeed. Go for it. We'll be watching. Thanks, Thank Stephanie. Thank you. Thank you, Bill, so much. Take care. That's it for today's podcast with Stephanie Chirac. Don't forget Emily's List. It's emilyslist.org. And now we just ask you as we uh, take off again, please, if you haven't already done so, it's so, so important. We really need you to subscribe to the Bill Press Pod. Wherever you listen to your podcast, just uh, pull up the Bill Press Pod, click on subscribe. You are in. And then please do a big favor by telling all of your friends to do the same. And finally, you know, Donald Trump's not the only one out there on Twitter. I'm there, too. And if you want a real relief from Donald Trump, follow me on Twitter at Bill Press Pod, at Bill Press Pod. That's it for today. Stay strong. Stay safe. We'll see you next time on the Bill Press Pod.